We talked about the Old Testament on March 22nd, and if you missed that, I'll, I can give you some notes on that. Uh, the Old Testament, March 22nd. Now we're going to talk about the New Testament. We may talk about the intertestamental period, but all that is leading up to a study of the book of Revelation. Before we get into the study, uh, let me share with you two prayer concerns, uh, prayer requests. One is for uh, Terry Road Baptist Church. You've heard me talk about that for a while now, several weeks now. Uh, it's just something that's really on my heart. And uh, they have decided to join forces with a, another church that's losing their lease. Uh, Terry Road Baptist Church is a church of about 18 people that's dying in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they've got a, several buildings on their campus, six to eight acres, a uh, wonderful neighborhood. They've got five different congregations meeting in that little church. Uh, like a Serbian, a Hispanic, and uh, a, uh, who? Yeah, Cambodian, Burmese, and, and, and English. Well, I've just talked to the guy that's kind of their lay pastor right now, and uh, on the 14th of June, they are going to be meeting with this other church. There's a kind of a church plant that had a storefront church. They're losing their lease, and uh, so they're going to come in and join Terry Road uh, combine forces and see how that works. So thankful the Lord's getting them, le- giving them leadership. Thankful that that church is not closing. Uh, but I told them when I talked to them that we would continue to pray for them because that's going to be a huge thing to try to merge a very young congregation in the storefront church and a very old congregation in the Terry Road Church trying to merge together. It's going to be uh, kind of difficult, but it can be done and has been done. So pray for Terry Road. And, and uh, I told them that, that we would certainly do that. And then also, I just found out this afternoon, right before I came to church, uh, that Bobby Gore, who has been pastoring in uh, Utah, a severe Valley Baptist church in, in Richfield, Utah, Bobby resigned today. And uh, it was, the church has lots of division. It it's kind of has that history. They, they've got rid of their last pastor before Bobby. Uh, just one of those churches kind of always is having problems. And so Bobby has fought that battle for a while now and uh, resigned today. And that's that's really all the information I have except that uh, the division was basically over the, the, the folks in the church were upset about the new Christians that were coming into the church. Yeah. So uh, I think Bobby may be trying to meet with those new Christians uh, in his basement. And in the coming days, that, that's just a, a possibility. Uh, but we're not sure how that affects our mission trip. Might totally change the dynamics of the mission trip. May not be a need for a mission trip. Uh, we're just not sure about that. We just got that word late this evening, and so we'll have to see how that how that works out. So we got lots to pray about. Would you join me as we pray, and then we'll get into our study uh, tonight. Father, first of all, I come before your presence, and I, I acknowledge that you are Lord and you are God, and there is none other. You are creator and sustainer. You are redeemer. You are the shepherd of our souls. You are the provider of our needs. Uh, You are the Lord God. You spoke and the worlds came into existence. And then you spoke again through your son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to better understand this world's greatest story as you have recorded it for us in your word 
May the Holy Spirit be our teacher and be our guide tonight. Open our hearts and our ears and our eyes. Not just to information, but to something that might indeed change us. Something that would help us have a better appreciation for what you have given us. What we hold in our hands that we call the Bible. Something that would stir us to read it and study it and live it. Because we recognize that this is not the words of men, but it is indeed the word of God. And then, Father, we want to pause to pray for Terry Road Baptist Church. We are grateful, uh, Lord, that that church uh, seems to have found an answer to their problem. They seem to have found a church that can partner with them. They, uh, they've got lots of things to work out in a short amount of time, so we pray for wisdom discernment on on behalf of both churches and the leaders in both churches. God, would you give them wisdom as they're trying to see how this marriage works in a very brief time by the end of June. And Lord, we pray that that would be a a strong gospel witness in that community, in that neighborhood. We pray that the church would grow again, that the church would not only survive, but it would thrive. And I pray, Father, that you would show us if there's something, some other church, somewhere else. Maybe it's in this area. Maybe it's somewhere else. I don't know. But, Lord, if there's some other church that that we might partner with, that we might help, that we might uh, work with in some way, we just pray for your direction and for you to open the doors, that it would be a divine effort and not man's effort, a divine invitation and not us trying to work something out. I pray for that. I ask for that in the name of Jesus. And now, Father, I also pray for my brother, for Bobby, uh, for Robin and the girls. In an uncertain time, may they find absolute peace in your presence. I pray, Father, for that church that is struggling so much God, I pray somehow that you'd work in that congregation, that they might be convicted and they might understand the severity of what they're doing and and that, God, their hearts might be changed. But for Bobby, we pray for wisdom, for leadership, uh, for your spirit to guide his spirit uh, in the days ahead. And for those young Christians who are wondering, what in the world are these Christians doing? I pray, Father, that they would understand through Bobby or through others, that they would understand that they are to be followers of Jesus and not following the followers of Jesus. I pray that Jesus would be central to their heart and to their mind, that these young believers would grow uh, in their understanding and in their walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for these Mount Airy family that we have here tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, tonight I want to talk to you about the story of the New Testament. We likely will not get through the entire New Testament, but we certainly, hopefully, will lay some groundwork to understand the story of the New Testament. When it comes to understanding the Bible, I think many of us feel like that our efforts are somewhat futile. We know parts of the Bible. We know 
parts of the world's greatest story, especially if you've grown up in Sunday school. Uh, you know the parables in the New Testament. You know some of the things that Jesus said or some of the places that Jesus went. You know there was a man named Peter. You know that there was a prominent man named Paul. We know a lot of the main characters of the Bible. And we know that in the end, when we finally get to the book of Revelation, we know that in the end, God wins. We know that much. But the thought of mastering the great story of the Bible, the thought of mastering what, what, what does the Bible really, what's the big story, how does it all work together, that, that is, can be overwhelming for us. But my question is, what if you could learn some key elements that could help you understand basically the main flow of the Bible? Tonight, we're not going to do a New Testament survey by any means, but I do hope to help you understand some of the basics of the Bible and how it flows and works together. I, I want to show you how the books of the New Testament divide or can be divided into different segments. And we want to try to understand some of the major people and the places and the events in the New Testament. I will say this. The New Testament is much less complex than the Old Testament as far as trying to understand it. The story is simpler, the time span is shorter, and the geographical movement is less. And so if you struggle somewhat to understand these kings and this country and where they went and what they did in the Old Testament, uh, you don't have to worry about so much of that in the New Testament. So let's just jump in. I hope you've got an outline, or if not, you, maybe you can look on with somebody nearby. I want to talk about, first of all, what is the focus of the New Testament? Now, for lots of you, this is going to be elementary. This is going to be, yes, I know that, uh, but hang on and we'll get to some other stuff. But for some of you, this is new information. For some of you, this, this will be helpful. What is the focus of the New Testament? Put this on your notes. The Old Testament focuses on the temporary solution God provided to humanity's sin problem. In order to understand the New Testament, you've got to understand the Old Testament. And so let, let me go back to the Old Testament for that one sentence. The Old Testament focuses on the temporary solution God provided to humanity's sin problem. If the Old Testament focuses on the temporary solution, what do you think the New Testament focuses on? Exactly. The New Testament focuses on the permanent solution God has provided in Jesus to humanity's sin problem. That's really the thrust of the entire New Testament. What the Old Testament pictured... The New Testament presents in reality. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, sacrificed lambs covered the sins of Israel temporarily until it could be taken away permanently. That was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Lamb of God, Jesus, was sacrificed for the sins of the world so that our sins could be forgiven permanently. What the Old Testament pictured, the New Testament presented in reality. What Jesus... When Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law, what do you think he meant by that? What did that phrase mean? When Jesus said in the New Testament, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. What do you think he meant by that? He didn't come to do away with it. What he meant was this. The things that the law requires as far as the sacrificial system are no longer required because the ultimate sacrifice is here. Uh, let me show you this, what I'm, what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 
verses 1 through 10. The law, that is the Old Testament law, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Good question, isn't it? If the sacrifices in the Old Testament were absolutely, permanently effective, you'd only need to do them one time. You wouldn't need to keep coming back year after year. Sacrifices were intended to cover our sins until a permanent solution was brought to us. Verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Parentheses, although the law required them to be made. Verse 9. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside, look at this. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And what's those last three words? Once for all. You, you can look in the book of Romans, and you can continue reading around the book of Hebrews, and you'll find essentially the same argument that what the Old Testament presented and pictured, the New Testament now presents uh, as the ultimate answer to our, our sin problem. So, let me make this kind of a summary statement before we can kind of dig in. The collection of 27 books that are in the New Testament proclaims and celebrates what the Old Testament anticipated and prophesied. That is, that there is a Messiah coming and his name is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it kept saying there is a Messiah coming. In the New Testament, it says he is here and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, so how would we describe the New Testament? I put a little place on your notes for you to finish this sentence. The New Testament is best described as God's definitive, life-changing revelation. Write that down. The New Testament is best described as God's definitive, life-changing revelation. You see, the reason that people read and have studied the New Testament for centuries is because the life-changing nature of the good news that's in this book. What do you mean by that? Well, in the New Testament, this good news, this gospel, is presented to us. Let me show you a few examples of this. I hope you got your Bibles ready. We're going to look at lots of Scripture. Go to John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. Well, let's start verse 17. Uh, for the law was given through Moses. Here's a contrast. The Old Testament and the New. The law, Old Testament, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, 
has made him known. There's this wonderful message, and this message is being conveyed to us, communicated to us, not simply through written word, not simply through prophets, not simply through uh, uh, some, somebody that tells us there's a Messiah coming, but this wonderful good news is being presented to us through the one who would sacrifice himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's final word to the world. And the Bible talks about this in several places. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty seven. Look at Matthew eleven twenty seven. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been committed to me by my Father. Jesus said. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed, and He in turn reveals to us who God is. Don't miss that. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed, and He in turn reveals to us who God is. And through Jesus Christ, God finally and forever speaks. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. And if we do the study in uh, the intertestamental period, we may come back and look at this a little closely, more closely, but let's at least read it. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, I just want to know that you're with me. Let's, let's, in the past, can you say it? In the past. In the past, when would in the past be? In the Old Testament days, in the past. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? By his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for what? For sins. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven because there was nothing left to be done. He had fulfilled the law and the prophets. He had done everything that was required for our salvation And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. This is the one who who reveals God to us, Jesus Christ. And the New Testament. The New Testament is the story of Jesus his revelation of who God is and how we can know him. And if that is true, and it is, but if that is true, that's why our lives can be changed by reading this book. That's why our lives can be changed by reading, especially the New Testament. Our lives can be changed in the Old Testament as well. But what I'm saying is this. The basic premise of the New Testament is that there is a life-changing message that God wants you to hear. Now, let me give you some basics of the New Testament. I've put some places there. Uh, I gave you the names, and then I'm going to give you some stuff to write down. Some of the basics of the New Testament. First of all, let me talk to you about the nature. The name itself hints at the nature. New what? New 
This is not a quiz. I mean, this is not a... a this, this is easy, all right? This is lower shelf stuff. New... Thank you. New Testament, of course, means new covenant. Old Testament means old covenant. Old covenant based on law. New, tevin, new covenant based on grace. Truth. Old Testament, you had to have a sacrifice. New Testament... Jesus is the sacrifice. Now, if you had to choose tonight between Old Covenant and New Covenant, which one would you choose? (laughs) That's not to say anything bad about the Old Covenant. That's not to say anything bad about the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. We need the Old Testament to understand why we need a Savior. We need the Old Testament pictures to help us understand what a sacrifice is all about. But, my point is this. In the Old Testament, God started this process to point us towards Jesus. And when you get to the New Testament, he says, this is the sacrifice and this is the new covenant I want to make with you. So, the basics of the New Testament is talked about, first of all, the nature. It is a new covenant, a New Testament in Jesus. Authorship. Let me talk about this. This is interesting, I think. There's a dozen different authors who wrote for specific purposes in the New Testament. A dozen different authors uh, writing, and they were writing to individuals and to churches. Twelve different authors wrote to individuals and churches about Jesus. That, that's the, the essence of what they were writing about. Twelve dif- different authors. And maybe later we can talk a little bit more about the the authorship. I want to say something here that I hope will not kind of make you say, whoa, 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 I don't like that. But but I hope maybe it will help you understand something about the nature of the New Testament. It's my conviction. It's my conviction that the New Testament authors probably did not know they were writing the New Testament. What do you mean by that? They were writing to individuals. Paul was writing to Timothy. They were writing to churches. Church at Corinth. Church at at Rome. Uh, They were writing to individuals and churches. They were not writing to say, I wonder how I should word this, because this is going in the New Testament. It's going to be around for a while. They were writing to individuals and to churches about problems that they had in their lives or in the church and helping them understand who Jesus Christ is and why they so desperately need Jesus Christ. So they were not writing necessarily, uh, it's my conviction, that they probably were not writing uh, a letter for the New Testament. And, you know, we could get into how were the letters chosen. That's a whole different study. Uh, Language. Let me talk to you about the language. All the documents were written in, in in the common language of the classical world, which is Greek. All the, all the language of the New Testament is written in Greek. There's a few Aramaic words in there, but primarily it's all written in Greek. Um, and this is what hap- one of the things that happened in the inter- intertestamental period. Look at this. In the Old Testament, and we, we'll probably get into this deeper if we uh, do the intertestamental study. When you read in the Old Testament, what was the primary language of the Old Testament? Anybody know? Hebrew. 
then there's a span of 400 years. And when you get to the New Testament, the primary language is Greek. And the big question is, what in the world happened between those 400 years? Why did the language change? Huh? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear it. Roman Empire, exactly. That was one of the, there were four different kingdoms during this 400-year period that took over. The last one was the Roman Empire. And one of the things that came out of the Roman Empire taking over was uh, Greek became the official language of the people. All over the, all over the world, Greek became the official language. And I need to stop there because I, I want to get off into, into that. And that's not why we're here. Um, But there's a reason it became the official language. <laughs> Greek became the official language, and now the table was set for the missionaries to go out and share the gospel in the world. Do you see how God worked that? You see, in that 400 years, God was not, was not inactive. It was not just 400 years where nothing happened in there was the Old Testament, and then there was 400 years of silence, and God was preparing the world for the New Testament, preparing the world for the Savior. Uh, let, let me go on. Uh, time period. The first books of the New Testament, write this down. The first books of the New, De- New Testament were written around 45 A.D. Now, I need some, some people good at math to figure this out for me. The first books were written around 45 A.D., the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, is the last book that was written. It was written around 95 A.D. So for the 27 books in the New Testament, how long did it take to write? How long of a time period to write those 27 books? 50 years. lot, lot, lot longer than the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I'm trying to go on memory, I think it was like 1,300 years, thirteen to 1,500 years that the Old Testament was written. Um, but the New Testament was 50 years. All right, uh, let me talk to you. I don't think this is a place on your notes, but you probably want to write this down. The order of the books is important. What's the first book in the New Testament? Matthew. Probably not the first book written, though. Um. The order of the books is not necessarily indicative of when they were written. If you put that down, write that down. The order of the books is not necessarily indicative of when they were written. Uh, Just like in the Old Testament, the New Testament is categorized thematically and literarily, not chronologically. Uh, The New Testament is arranged by themes, uh, essentially, by, by, by themes. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not the first four books written. They were arranged that way, thematically and literarily, not chronologically. All right? Uh, the divisions. Let me talk to you. That's on your notes, isn't it? The divisions of the New Testament. All right, let me talk to you about the divisions. Uh, there's five of them. We'll spend a little bit of time here. First of all, of course, there's the Gospels. You have uh, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you have John. So you have four Gospels. 
Uh, the synoptics are, are simply means that these men wrote essentially the same story. They saw it essentially from the same perspective. They recorded essentially the same events, though they, they had their own perspective, but they recorded essentially the same events. So that's the synoptic Gospels. And then you also have the Gospel of John. So that's the first division. Uh, and, and the word gospel simply means good news. So Matthew wrote a, wrote a book of good news. Mark wrote a book of good news. Luke wrote a book of good news. John wrote a book of good news. All right, that's the first division. The second division is the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. Uh, Acts of the Apostles is tied to Luke, and it really traces the rise of the early church. By the way, just a reminder tonight at 9 o'clock, you can go home and you can see uh, the, the miniseries A.D., and that really is the story of the first 10 chapters in the book of Acts. It's really the rise of the early church and the spread of the gospel. Then this, the third division is the, uh, the letters of Paul. How many letters did Paul write, do you know? How many letters did, did Paul, the Apostle Paul write? Thirteen. How many books are in the New Testament? Twenty-seven. Paul wrote thirteen. Wrote almost half of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to talk about this on Wednesday night, I think. We talked about it some this past Wednesday night. But last Wednesday night, we talked about the Apostle Paul and, and his salvation. He, he was... He was the, the lead persecutor, the, the greatest enemy that the church ever had. He got saved on the road to Damascus, got confronted by Jesus Christ, saved on the road to Damascus. Life was radically changed, and the chief persecutor became the chief preacher. And the one who opposed Jesus the most ended up writing about half of the New Testament. I just think that's pretty cool. It's like only God, you know? Only God. Okay, um, so we got the Gospels, we have Acts, we have the, the letters of Paul, uh, the epistles or letters of Paul. Then you have the what's called the general epistles, or the general the general letters. By the way, somebody said, he said, what's what's epistles mean? He said that's the wives of the apostles. <laughs> that's not exactly true. Uh, epistles simply means letters. And so you have the, the epistles of Paul or the letters of Paul. And then you also have the general epistles. The general epistles are basically primarily those letters not written by Paul. Let's take a, a moment and figure this one out. Go to the table of contents. Table of contents in the front of your Bible. Look for the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see, first of all, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the Gospels. That's the first division. Then we see Acts. That's the second division. Then we see, follow closely, letters of Paul, epistles of Paul. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And then, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. It's my belief that Paul perhaps did write that, but it is anonymous, the only anonymous letter in the New Testament. So those are the letters of Paul. The general epistles would be Hebrews, James. Who, who wrote James? Exactly. First and second Peter. Who wrote first and second Peter? Peter. Exactly. First, second, and third John. Who wrote that? You're catching on. 
Jude? Who wrote that? You're catching on. And then we come to the last division. The last division is revelation or apocalyptic literature. The apocalypse of John. Those are the divisions of the New Testament. Much easier than the nine divisions of the Old Testament. Now, what I'd like to do is talk to you a little, for just a little bit about the four Gospels, and then we'll probably, might let you leave early, because if I try to get into the rest of it, I'm afraid I'll keep you late. So, better to leave early than keep you late. Uh, Let me talk to you for a few minutes just about the Gospels themselves, the four Gospels. First of all, just talk to a neighbor and try to come up with an answer to this question. Why are there four? Why are there four? Why, why not one or two? Why four Gospels? Talk to a neighbor. ask you to answer the question, why are there four? But before I ask you the question, uh, let me ask another question to kind of frame that. And the question would be this. What is a gospel? What, what, what is, when you say the gospel of Mark, etc., what is the gospel? Uh, here's what I want you to understand. Well, I'll, I'll let you tell me first of all. What, what is a gospel? All right. I think I heard it. Say it one more time. The, the good news of Jesus. Testimony. Message of Jesus. Open your Bibles. Um, John 21, 25. John 21, John at the end of this gospel says this Jesus did many other things as well wait a minute stop right there what do you think that means Jesus did many other things what is John implying by that statement I hear a lot of mumbling, but I think he said this. John was being selective, wasn't he? In fact, he goes on to explain. Look what he's talking about. Look at this. Verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. And here's his explanation. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Interesting. You know what the Gospels are? The Gospels are selected accounts of Jesus' life and deeds that proclaim and give evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
I'll say that again in case you, you want to write it down. The Gospels are selected accounts of Jesus' life and deeds that proclaim and give evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We don't have a, a complete story of Jesus in the, in the Bible. We don't have a complete story of Jesus in the Gospels. In fact, it's very interesting that the first 30 years of his life, we have almost no information about. Got a little bit of information about when he was a young boy. A young boy. Uh, we got information when he was newborn, a little bit when he was a, 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 a small boy, and then all of a sudden he's 33 or, or 30, and he's starting his ministry. So the Gospels are selected. In fact, we don't, have every, we don't have a record of every place that he went or everything that he said or everything that he did. The Gospels were never intended to be a complete record of Jesus' life. It's not a history book. That's an important statement. Gospels aren't intended to be a history book of Jesus. The Gospels are selected accounts of Jesus' life and deeds that proclaim and give evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Uh, While you're in John, go back one chapter. John chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says there's lots of miracles that Jesus did that I I haven't even written down. There's things that he did that would blow your mind, and I didn't even try to write them all down. But I tried to write down some some of the miracles so that you would be convinced he is who he said he is. For example, when, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, miracle, raised Lazarus from the dead, then what did he say about himself? I am the resurrection and the life. Every miracle that John, that, that John records had a lesson to prove who Jesus is. When, when he performed the miracle and, 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 and turned, uh, or uh, performed the miracle and provided bread for everybody. Then he said, after that miracle of feeding the 5,000, then he said, I am the bread of life. Every miracle was intended as a sign to point to who Jesus really is. He's more than a miracle worker. He's more than somebody that's popular with the crowds. He is Messiah, Savior. And each miracle was a sign. There were seven of them. Each miracle was a sign to point to Messiah, Savior of the world. Hmm. When you see these TV preachers and they claim to do miracles and they get all these crowds, you turn it off. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get off on that. Um, okay, you answer, you talk to me now. Why four Gospels? Why not just one? I mean, if you want to present the story of Jesus, present the story of Jesus. Why do you need four? Give me your answers. Validity. What do you mean by that? Uh, 
Absolutely. You just got an A on the quiz. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's a good answer, though. Somebody else. Now you're afraid to answer, Isaac. Right? I don't have anything besides that one. Well, there's, there's, there's several reasons why we have four Gospels, not just one. One is validity, that, that each person writing at different times to different audiences for different purposes, yet telling essentially the same story. Mm-hmm. From a different viewpoint. Um, yes, absolutely. Very good answer. And I'm going to save that because I'm going I'm to give you my, my uh, take on that. But, but very good answer. Somebody else? Validity offers a different viewpoint. Personality of the writers. Follow, help, help us with that one. Yeah. See, it's not just the personality of the writers, but it's the audience the writer was writing to. Let, let me give you, there's three things that, that I've got in my notes. There might be other reasons, but I, I've got, why four Gospels? Here's three reasons. Number one, the breadth and depth of Jesus' life and ministry cannot be adequately contained in one Gospel. John said that, didn't he? He said, every, I, I can't write everything about him. If I tried to write everything about him, he, he, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. So one of the reasons we have four and not one is because of the breadth and the depth of Jesus' life and ministry. You just can't convey it and contain it in one gospel. Number two, each was written for different communities and with different emphasis. Next time when we pick up, we'll probably talk a little bit about that. But Matthew had a totally different audience than Luke. Totally different reason for writing. John had a different audience than than Mark. Totally different reason for writing. Mark, for crying out loud, didn't even tell us anything about the birth of Jesus. Don't you think that'd be kind of important? We'll talk about that next week, so come back. A little commercial. Number three. Why four Gospels? First, the breadth and depth of Jesus' life and ministry can't be conveyed in one Gospel. Second, uh, it was written for different communities with different emphasis, different reasons for writing. Uh, Number three, uh, the number of witnesses gives credence to the story. What she was saying there a moment ago. The number of witnesses saying essentially the same thing give credence to the story. If you just have one person, In fact, in the Old Testament, it says, by the witness of two or more, something will be be shown to be true. I can't remember the verse right now in the Old Testament, but it says, by the witness of two or more. We don't have two. We don't have three. We have four. We've doubled the two that's necessary to show that it's true. We have four people saying, I walked with him. I heard him, I followed him, I saw him, I touched him. In fact, John says that. John says, I touched him. And they all three, or all four, come to the same conclusion. This is not just a popular preacher. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Um, 
Let's stop right there. I said I was going to let you out early. Three minutes is still early, right? <laughs> hey, guys, I hope you'll be back, and, and we'll try to pick up, the re- pick up there and talk a little bit more about the Gospels and deal with all the rest of the New Testament and put it all together for you, I hope. Uh, but I hope you'll be back. Thank you for your participation, your attendance here tonight. Let's, let's just pray and thank the Lord, uh, not for the Gospels, plural, but for the Gospel the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that there is a Savior. There is a sacrifice. There is a solution to our sin problem. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.